Can you hear me? What's going on, Tommy? I'm Sam. Hi, Sam. And then you see Brian on top and Brian down there. What's happening? That makes it easier. Okay. Brian and Brian and Sam. All right. Hey, Tom. How are you? I'm okay. You kind of seen what I look like after I perform, you know, all wet. (laughs) So this, you know, when we started the podcast, like uh, this is kind of like where we figured the finale would be. You know, like we figured this might be like, it's like, oh, one day if we ever get a chance to talk to like, I don't know, Tommy McLaughlin, like we'll just quit doing shows. Um, so this is I'll quit, I'll quit doing podcasts. If you do that then. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's just such a treat for us. You know, we, we, we talk music, we talk uh, movies and we invite guests. And uh, lately we've just, you know, reached out to a lot of the, the movie um, community like Brian Usna, um, Steve DeJarnat. And uh, yeah, man, a lot of like stuff that we grew up. So thank you so much for your time. Hey, my pleasure. You know, I, I love to talk about what I love to do. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, the, the the ego trip of all this stuff is like, yeah, well, you know, I got a chance to do that and I got a chance to do that, but I still got 30 more years to do a bunch of other shit. Hell yeah. Yeah, I got to figure it out. Well, to kick it off, I know you're doing something called Black Veil. So I think like next Mm -hmm. week or in a week or two. Um, so it's kind of like a six episode anthology, right? Can you tell us like a little bit about that? Yeah, um, this was the brainchild of Dan Merrick, you know, of obviously Blair Witch fame. Yep. And uh, Dan is from Florida and he always wanted to do kind of a Southern Gothic, either film or in this case series and came up with the, you know, the title Black Veil and sort of in the kind of you know, school of directors helping other directors in the horror genre, which tends to happen a lot. And, you know, I was very, you know, benef- I had the benefit of uh, Mick Garris helping me when uh, did, uh, you know, both the Amazing Stories series for Spielberg and then also the others where basically Stephen kind of let us either write them or, you know, direct them and he would make comments and, you know, if there's anything to comment on. So it was great. So this, again, is one of those kinds of things where, um, Jeffrey Reddick from uh, the Final Destination was involved with uh, is is involved with this. A number of really great guys, and so we all basically had the kind of the marching orders to come up with you know about twenty minutes to a half hour show um, that has something to do with that theme of uh, you know Southern Gothic horror. And then if you can find some place to sneak in a woman 
with a black veil someplace in there, you yeah, know, yeah. wherever you can think to kind of put it, um, just so we kind of have some sort of continuity of this of this presence. So it uh, for me, it was really interesting because, um, you know, I've had a very split career in terms of the kinds of stuff I've been involved with from obviously real monsters of the cinema, Freddy, Jason, Stephen King movie and stuff. And then I went off into the wonderful world of TV movies. And that was AIDS, global warming, um, segregation, mental illness, alcoholism. I mean, you know, the real life. Real, mon uh, yeah, yeah, monsters. Know, monsters. Yeah. So when, when this came along, um, we were in the middle of the, obviously the whole pandemic thing and also the Black Lives Matter, you know, situation came up and, and you know, to go out and watch these protests again, again and I'm going, holy shit, I thought we solved all this stuff back in the <laughs> 60s when we were maced and, you know, beaten up for marching against the Vietnam War or for women's rights or black rights and all that stuff. But, you know, here it was like, you know, major deja vu. And since I had to do a horror thing and it had to be like Southern Gothic, I didn't want to just kind of do the, you know, the cliche of the, you know, the Southern guy that it's always felt like this and things. I thought it'd be more interesting to take it from the perspective of some young woman who's, you know, says she's liberal, says she voted for Obama, but <laughs> deep in her DNA from grandfather to father and stuff, there is this racism, you know, that, that exists. And, she ends up having to go on a business trip down, down south. And I guess the best thing I can say is she sort of goes into the twilight zone. Okay. You know, she's yeah, yeah. put into a situation where she has to make a choice. And uh, of course, we're wondering which way she's going to go, figuring since it's a horror show, it's going to go. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so yeah, and, uh, you know, it kind of has all the, you know, gothic, uh, southern gothic things of the... Spanish moss and the plantation houses and all that stuff kind of woven into it, but kind of from a, you know, today perspective uh, okay. of, of this, of this young woman. And, and is this going to be released like, you know, like a, on a streaming site or, or is that not figured out yet? Yeah. I mean, these things are all being done, you know, ultra, ultra low budget. Um, you know, so I'm of course having to, you know, really kind of dig in there and say, okay, what, what exactly do I need? in shot wise and production wise and what kind of actor and so on. So to keep the costs, everybody obviously has to do that. And then the hope is maybe, you know, it'll be released as a long form thing of some sort. Maybe Shutter will pick it up, maybe, you know, in a yeah. perfect world, Netflix or something, but we're trying to make it, you know, as, you know, professional and, you know, classy horror uh, as we can. And then where it ends up going, you know, who knows? I mean, this world has so changed with the way this oh, is. Oh, yeah. From, from where you started to like where it is now. I mean, it is kind of exciting, though, because you can there are so many outlets. Like you said, there is a shutter. There are places where these things yeah. do can get that life. Like sometimes uh, like let's say this was a movie format. You know, you would have like a week or two to get the, the audience's attention. And if it falls out of like the top 20, then it's like, all right, oh, yeah. now you get now you got to wait two years to rent it on VHS and buy <laughs> then it's like you don't even remember you know but uh yeah, yeah i mean you know obviously i'm old enough to kind of watch all the things from starting on film and only talking about that's it you know nothing's any good unless it's in the theater you know to yes all yeah yeah ways you know the films come and go in a weekend and then suddenly have this other life yeah. on remember beta yeah um, i do and then vhs yeah. you know and, and then laser discs and dvd and blu-ray and now streaming so 
all some of these things are still going strong. I mean, I've been to these VHS conventions where it's like they're still hardcore guys and say that's the only way to see Friday you're, the 13th. Jason lives VHS, man. That's it. You know, you're, you're looking at one over there. Look, look at his collection back there. <laughs> right, there you yeah. go. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm the only person that saw his five functional VCRs in my house. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's yeah. If you ever need to borrow one, let us know. We'll mail you one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to find a beta because I had all this great shit that I had on beta and, you know, finally found somebody in Florida that had a machine that, oh, please, you know, have it transport okay so it plays by the time it gets to California. And yeah, it did. So it's 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 great to have that. I, you know, my laser disc long died, you know, some, somehow the rubber bands on those things never survive about six months or so. And then that was it on those. I remember, I remember when like Laserdisc came out, it was like a thing for like a minute. I felt like it was like a minute, like you would get like TV guide and like everything costs like a hundred bucks. But I remember as as a kid, as a kid, I would always take a pen because I was such a cinephile even back then. I would just circle (laughs) either every album that I wanted in that TV guide Mm -hmm. thing or every movie. I'm like, oh, I want Year of the Dragon. I want like fucking, you know, One Dark Night or whatever the fuck it was, you know? So, um. Okay, just out of curiosity, you know, since this is like a, an anthology thing um, and it could make it to a streaming site, um, are you keeping up with anything like like the new Creep Show or are there any any shows that, you, that you're a big fan of lately? Well, you know, I, again, it's that prejudice that I had from very early on that if you want to see a movie, you go to the movie theaters. If you want to see a horror movie or basically an, an, a genre movie of some sort, you fucking go Friday night with who I call the Yahoo crowd. Yes, you know, yes. Us mud people, you yes. know, that were there to just, you know, fucking entertain us, you know. Yes. And it was so great, uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s where the audience literally would talk to the screen and, you know, you got this whole other experience, you know, that the, it was like a ride, you know, that you went on. So once, you know, the television thing started to become where I was, you know, making shows, it was like, I don't even know what's on. I mean, the, one of the first shows I did was a, a miniseries for CBS called In a Child's Name. And I said, yeah, it starts Valerie Bertinelli. And I went, who? Eddie Van Halen's wife. Oh, 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 oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Should have just <laughs> so said that. I mean, I was, you know, completely out of the loop. And, and for, unfortunately, unless something comes along like The Haunting of Hill House or something that's yes. like, I got to see what this dude, because I love his work, did with this. Then I'll watch it or binge it, you know, depending. But a lot of the other things, it's so hard to keep up. I mean, yeah. there's so many shows and you flip things on, you go, this is really good. I mean, this they've taken an idea that would have made a cool two hour, 90 minute film. And they've stretched this thing for like, you know, 10 hours. And there's so much other nuances and things that you could do, which is what's so great about kind of, you know, where the TV movie and the miniseries have become these, you know, six or seven episode yeah. shows is is there any appeal to that like let's say let's pick one dark night couldn't you could you make okay. something like that into a 10 episode mo- uh show that's a really good question uh because i was approached just god maybe six seven months ago uh by and his name just went out of my head um um he did the uh, sharknado oh yeah um, yeah 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 uh, uh it's i know the i know the guy yeah because he he yeah, we were just talking about him. I think he oh, did. God damn it. You know, and we've talked so many times, and I don't know why I'm just blanking at the moment because um, I keep having all these other names pop in. Anyway, he he contacted me, and he asked me that same question because he found the company that, you know, still has the rights for it. And he said, is there any way we could, like, 
stretch this thing. And so I started kind of working on, you know, you know, how I could break it down. Cause I did actually reinvent the movie at a certain point. And if you've seen it, you know, it sort of yeah, starts yeah. where you don't really know who the, you know, our villain is, he's been entombed. And then eventually come about, you know, an hour and 15 minutes into the movie, he finally comes out and, you know, we see him, but I thought, well, what if I went back and literally set him up? So the first half hour was really meeting Raymar, saw what he did to these women, saw how he had this magic, you know, this professional show that he would put on. And people thought, man, this guy is like the best magician we've ever seen. I mean, he literally can levitate people in the audience. And, you know, so I kind of wanted to take it from that perspective. Then, you know, like the half hour mark or so, he dies. And then we go on to, you know, his uh, daughter who gets involved with, you know, once he's dead and the, the girls from the high school and all that. So, you know, I'd, I'd already had that. And I thought, well, maybe I can incorporate, you know, both of these into this. And then it, like everything else since the pandemic, it's sort of like, well, yeah, let's get back and we'll talk about it. And everybody kind of goes off in their different directions. So it's still kind of sitting there in the script. I'm still kind of, you know, working through. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, the uh, Friday the 13th sequel that I wanted to do sort of took precedent when I thought the rights were going to get resolved, which still hasn't happened. So it still hasn't, you know, right? Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. Like it's uh, nine, nine years, boys, nine yeah. years. This shit's wow. Unbelievable. Is it is it Anthony Ferrante? Was that the guy you were thinking? That's of? it. There you go. Thank okay. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay. Going going back, I just had a curiosity because I mean, you said you remember going to the theaters and uh I'm 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 always a movie guy. Like for me, like I'll go Saturday, like after you know, before everything. Um, I would go Saturday afternoon and I would like I just love watching movies. Um yeah. by myself, usually at the best time. Um yeah what was like some of the wildest, like what was like a wild time in the seventies or a, a movie that, that you watched in the movie theaters that kind of like inspired you or like a, a wild, real, real, real simple answer on that, Sam, the exorcist. Okay. Um, I was one of the fortunate that was able to see it in that first week, um, you know, at the national wow. theater yeah. out in, in Westwood. And I had not heard anything about it other than I was at a, a post-Christmas party, because I guess it opened Christmas Day or the day after Christmas, if I recall. Um, and I saw this friend of mine that I'd known for years, and he looked like hell. And I said, what's going on? He says, Tommy, I haven't slept in three days. I'm like, what, what happened? And he said, the exorcist. And my, my friend, Mike Haas and I, who, you know, Mark collaborated with me on One Dark Night, looked at each other and said, all right, let's find out where's the paper. Got to find the showtime. So, <laughs> You know, we were in that long line of people out there and there was Blatty, there was Freakin passing coffee out, an ambulance, all these things, you know, that you go, this is really weird event. But then <laughs> seeing it with an audience and I ended up seeing it, I don't know, three, four times. I mean, it became like, I, I got to see if people are still reacting like this. And, you know, to see people pass out, to see people run up the aisle with the hands over their mouth about to throw up, you know, to see at the end of the, sh at the end of the film, when the credits are rolling, people would stand up to go and they put like one arm in their coat and then like stop and just keep staring at the screen and not move. I mean, it was like, it shocked people. Like I'd never seen, you know, before or since. Oh, that's so, such, yeah, that, such a good, that whole period was such just, a good answer. Oh, um, so, still to this day, you know, I, I, that, I, it's really hard to say anything else ever topped, you know, that thing. Closest thing was Carrie, the end of Carrie that oh. certainly 
you know, they went through the, you know, all the way to the roof on that jump. And Jaws, of course, was another, the first of the big, you know, blockbuster. But, but, but even, be, before, even before that. Went, 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 you know. Even before, Sorry? I said even before that. So, like, what was the effect? Do you remember, um, I'm, I'm trying to guess, you know, just how far back you go, but, like, Night of the Living Dead. So that was, like, 68, 69. Like, what was that experience yeah. like? That was great because we felt like we really were the unwashed um, and uh, the, the freaks that we were out there watching this, you know, black and white. I mean, it really felt like documentary. It really felt that whoever made this really was kind of twisted and we felt weird. You know, Eraserhead had that same quality, you know, oh, you've yeah. seen it at midnight and, you know, come about 1.30 in the morning where you're sort of in that twilight state of mind and those images, you know, with both of those movies just sort of, you know, got into your subconscious. So there was, you know, a bunch of us, then you kind of always saw the same people, you know, <laughs> at these things you would run into um, who would go and bring somebody else. And they usually were late night, you know, experiences, um, which made, you know, those kinds of movies all the more special. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, as a child, uh, I was fortunate that all the universal horror movies would be played on the local uh, TV station five times a week, nine o'clock, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you could see Frankenstein or yeah. Dracula or the Wolfman. So of course, by the end of each week, you knew all the dialogue, you know, you were drawing the, the, you know, the monsters. So that was like kind of the first big, you know, introduction into that. And then when I started skipping school and going to the movies at noon, um, it was all the, the Hammer horror movies, all oh, the Roger oh, Corman, Edgar yeah. Allan Poe movies. So, you know, that was the next big influence. And I don't think anything really was the thing that really jumped out as huge, classy thing until Rosemary's Baby came along. Mm -hmm. And that was like, wow, mainstream horror, you know, God's dead, long live Satan, all this stuff that growing up Catholic was like, oh my God, that's, whoa. And then of course the exorcist, you know, yeah. pops that. And then of course, Omen comes along. I mean, there was that whole- And, and your shirt, your shirt, speaking of midnight movies. Oh yeah, Jodorowsky, yeah. yeah. He was, uh, yeah, I, I was very fortunate, um, again, with him. I have this sort of uh, Forrest Gump existence where somehow I end up at the right place at the I, right time. I, I went and saw Holy yeah. Mountain, and I went back to see him, or, you know, went downstage to see him. I told him that I'd studied with Marcel Marceau, as he did, and he goes, oh, really? And I said, yeah, I've got a group of young actor, you know, mind students. I don't know, would you come and talk to us? He said, no, no, I, I don't do that anymore. And things, you know, but, you know, give me your address. You know, if, when, when you do it, okay. Yeah, I, you know, I probably won't, but he shows up for three hours. Jodorowsky's in my apartment showing us all these, you know, cause he was the one that invented this, the whole you know, like wall illusion, which Marceau, you know, bought from him through the, and, he, you know, he just, he suddenly shifted gears and he wasn't a filmmaker. He was this incredibly poetic mind. Uh, Jacques Tati did the same thing. You know, I just had the balls to go up and say, you know, would you come and talk to us? And, you know, it's like these legendary people. It, it was just amazing. And of course, since that time, all Jodorowsky's movies to me are just the ultimate weird dream, surreal. Super weird, yeah. Life and yeah, magic and all that, yeah, so. Yeah, that's so cool. And I love the shirt. It's like in the the Judas the priest. Judas priest, yeah. Yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> so, and because I for for a minute I thought it was priest, but like I saw, I'm gonna just switch gears for a minute there, oh, sure. um, because we're all musicians, all three of us. I still play music. Brian still plays music. Oh, great. Um, you still play music. So yeah. 
tell I think the 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 story of the sloths is pretty amazing because I didn't know that it went back so far uh, yeah. you know but you you weren't in that, that just explain what it is so everyone knows yeah uh, well you know I was the kid who wanted to be the filmmaker I my father was a USC film student so when he graduated in 49 nobody would hire a film student you know it was like you had to know somebody in the business you had to you know be relatives or something so basically he bought a house next to the old MGM backlots in Culver City and I grew up and basically inherited his dream you know he he, you know, always was talking to me about films and stuff. He had a 16 millimeter camera from USC. Of course, I couldn't afford that. So we got an eight millimeter and I had the back lots of MGM to play on as a kid. So I would go in there with my eight millimeter camera and my friends and we would make these little movies on the back lot on the weekends. You know, they were terrible. We were terrible, but we had this, you know, great art direction behind us, great production design, you know, with these, these amazing sets and stuff. And during that time, you know, we, my dad and I really kind of bonded. Then about 62, the Beatles hit. And suddenly the gears shifted, like, wait a minute, you know, girls like guys with hair, you know, <laughs> we're going to start doing this, guys. And, you know, we put together a band and, you know, I got kicked out of seven high schools because I wouldn't cut my hair. I got father, kicked out of high school too. <laughs> yeah. Father was going to disown me at that point, but it was suddenly, you know, obviously the Beatles, the Stones, the Kinks, you know, animals, you know, we opened for the doors three, four times here in LA, and oh, we were 15, 16 awesome. year old kids, yeah. you know, so it was, if you, if you watch the Monterey Pop Festival, you'll see me about five times, you know, in the audience, like, I mean, stoned out of my gourd, yeah. just Hendrix, Janice, the who, I mean, to be there again, Forrest Gump, you know, yeah. happened to be there. And that was it. I was, I was rock and roll. That was going to be, you know, my life. And so we, yeah, we played up and down in the strip and, um, you know, eventually kind of, there was like a, a couple of versions of the sloths that, you know, kind of fell apart. One guy's parents said, you know, no, you're going to be a lawyer out of the band, <laughs> you know? And so he went back to school and then he formed another band called the Maywines. I joined that. The other sloths ended up joining that. We kind of get the same song. Is he know, a so lawyer though? Uh, yes, he is. All right. Uh, all right. All right. All right. We'll, we'll give him a pass. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> but you know, when everything sort of fell apart in 69, combination of Manson in this town where we couldn't even go into restaurants without wow. being told, uh, you know, you hippie killer out, you Holy know? Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was intense. I mean, it really was not getting served. Somebody pull up in front of you. If you're on a curb, roll down their window, Hey, you know, and get spit. I mean, it was real. So you sort of started to feel like, okay, I'm going to protest all the people that are getting put down because, you know, we all felt we were in that category too. Just absolutely having long hair. You were a freak. Yeah. So um, I wanted to be a more visual lead singer and that's what kind of led me to study mine. So I ended up leaving the, the country in, in 69, 70 and went to Paris to study, <laughs> uh, figuring I would now be able to do stuff that James Brown wasn't doing, that Mick Jagger wasn't doing, that Roger Daltrey wasn't doing, you know, it's going to have a whole new sense of physical, you know, uh, performing. But I fell in love with the comedy and kind of went, you know, I'd much rather do comedy and do this and made movies like Jacques Tati or Keaton, you know, Buster Keaton and stuff. Yeah. And that, you know, is sort of that thing of, you know, one thing led to another and then I'm in the Screen Actors Guild and Woody Allen hires me for Sleeper to work with him on the robot, you know, characters in that. 
And then it was like one monster after another, you know, the Jabberwocky and Alice in Wonderland, the mutated bear in Frankenheimer's Prophecy, Captain Star in, in Walt Disney's Black so, Hole. So it, they were day gigs. That know? was big. That was big yeah. for me. I, I used to have like the, the Black Hole books. Like when I was a kid, I I had those fucking books. And like when I was like, you know, obviously, you, you know, we got to know what we're talking about. You know, if we're going to talk to Tom. Um, and when I realized that you were in that, like, yo, I had that book as a kid and I loved it. So cool. I Captain think I had Star. action figures of that. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm still looking for those suckers, you know. <laughs> wow, yeah. I got I got a school book folder that has Captain Star on it. And I thought that was great that there's some kid out there that's you know taking that to school that you know something that i mean they they let me create that character that wasn't in the script they basically said we want to come up with something for you to do because i was just hired to choreograph the humanoids and the robots and do some of the stunt stuff you know and then that character it was something that gary nelson the director said yeah we're gonna you know come up with something for you so that you know was great great you know thrill but as we were making it guys we were going they should have said yes to George years ago when he came with that thing called Star Wars, but they didn't, you know, and now they're trying to catch up and this is just not Star Wars, you know, and yet as the years have gone on, it's had its own kind of cult following enough. Oh, yeah. People saw it young enough that it was like it worked. But those of us who are like, you know, Star Wars people, it's like, come on, you know, this is, you know, this isn't Star Wars. Come on, guys. Yeah. But, you know, I'm happy that it's had that the kind of success and they keep doing interviews telling me, oh, no, they're going to do it. They're going to redo it. And, you know, we'd love to hear from people who were there, you know, for the original. Um, but, you know, I've yet to hear, a, a, you know, a green light on it. Listen, what, what an amazing life so far. I, I can't. Yeah. What, what a trip. I just out of curiosity to kind of like switch gears a little bit. You talked about what it was like to be kind of, you know, uh, a long haired or whatever, obviously, like what would be like when we were punk rockers, you know, now. Mm -hmm. So like the movie, the Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. What, what did you think of that portrayal? He did a really good job. Um, I was sad that the, uh, the Aquarius Theater that they painted up to look exactly like it looked back in the day, never even made it into the movie, um, but still all painted up there on Sunset Boulevard. And that, you know, I'd seen that because I was living in Hollywood at that time was, you know, very exciting. Uh, you know, also to see the movie at the Cinerama Dome and the shot where they drove Pyatt. I mean, the whole audience, first time in a long time I heard people react. It's like, there's where we are right now. You know, it was, <laughs> that, that was great. Yeah. But just in general, yeah, he really, he really caught that whole crazy thing of with the Manson, you know, family and just the whole kind of vibe of that period. Um, and it was fun. It, to me, it was, you know, I love Quentin's work. You know, he's, He's such a cinephile and everything you see, you can go, I know where you got that. And he goes, yep. How about, you? How about that? I know that's, yep. And you're right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. When, when I met him for the first time, uh, I was at one of these Masters of Horror uh, dinners that Mick oh, Garris. Oh, Mick Garris does at. those. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. So Quentin sat next to me and he literally pitched me the whole Grindhouse movie that, you know, oh, eventually, yes. um, you know, that got made Planet Terror and, and uh, whatever the name uh, is. Death right? Proof. Yeah. yeah. And uh, with all these other things that he was going to do that were going to be like other trailers besides, you know, the uh, machete and some of the ones yes. that actually yeah, did yeah, 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 yeah. of yeah. stuff. And then at the end of the evening, you know, you know, he was leaving and he had his the uh, that one of those incredible cars that he has. It wasn't the pussy mobile, pussy wagon. Pussy wagon. <laughs> yeah. 
but he, he, he was driving down the alley as I was heading my car and suddenly he backs up and he goes, Tom McLaughlin, One Dark Night, Thorny Am I, uh, uh, 1980s. I mean, he rattled this shit off like he had a Rolodex, you yeah. know, and I went, all those years in the video store, he goes, yep. You know, and he says, I love your shit. And I also love that TV movie you did on this. And I mean, he knew all of yeah. this crap, you know, and I went, this is, this is an amazing guy, <laughs> you know, that knows that much about movies, you know, even us, us little hackers that were, you know, somehow making films and, you know, always looking up to these guys going, yeah, I'd love to make one like, you know, Spielberg did or whatever. Yeah. Working in a video store will do that. You know, like I, I mentioned yeah. in, in our last episode, that was like growing up, like that was the measurement. Like you either worked at a record store or a video store and you thought mm -hmm. that was like the best. So I was like, oh, this is the best job ever. I don't know why anybody else Absolutely. would not want to do this. Um, yeah. I, I want to switch gears to, to Mick Garris, who is a legend. I love Mick Garris, everything he yeah, does. I love his guy. podcast. Um, so amazing stories like uh go to the head of the class like that episode holy yeah. shit <laughs> like that episode i never saw it until recently like that one and i remember the show we, we all remember the show right yep. yeah um that i mean you bob gale mick garris like what do you remember about just that making that with christopher lloyd rob Z uh, zemeckis directing like you want to talk about movie magic in 50 minutes that, yeah. that was like loaded with movie magic in those 50 minutes. Just like, what do you remember of that, of that episode? Well, yeah, Mick, uh, Mick had a really great early career in that he did publicity, you know, for universal. So he was able to talk to all these legendary directors, you know, about their movies, do the making of kinds of things. So he had all these relationships um, that, you know, he had, from early on and he's got you know a great wonderfully warm personality people love him yeah. you know name of his company is nice guy productions because yep. that's exactly what he wants to put out there and um i had a screening at uh ironically at ucla uh of, with the academy of science fiction fantasy and horror of one dark night and afterwards mick comes over to me and he just kind of gushes on about how much he loved it and you know he's going to be directing himself you know, soon. And, and, you know, we just kind of bonded and it was almost like brothers. I mean, we have a somewhat similar look and, you know, we would hang out yeah. together and it's like, yeah, you guys brothers. It's like, no, no, but you know, close. And as time went on, you know, we, you know, would kind of jump on each other's projects and it was more me being able to jump on the his because he had connections like, you know, Spielberg and those guys. So yeah, he asked me about, you know, if I was interested in writing, uh, you know, a couple of amazing stories with him. And of course, yeah. So we sat down and, you know, kind of took this idea that I thought was, you know, great and tried to put, and if you know my style, it's all about Gothic horror. And I can't seem to shake you know, the universal and hammer and all those yeah, influences yeah. from the early days. So they're, they're all in there, uh, which carry on even to this next thing I'm doing next month. But um, so we, we, you know, did everything, you know, we could to make it as great as possible. We didn't know who was going to direct it at that time. And then, of course, I wasn't on the set. I don't know if Mick was at all that got any kind of preview to what was to come. But when we saw the first cut, it was like, yeah, did we write that? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Zemeckis and, and obviously Christopher, Lloyd, I mean, they just took it to oh. another stratosphere. It was just everything you wanted and more, you know. The effects of the head, like everything about it was just like, you know, I, I, I remember the ending, you know, when it first aired, because I, I, I knew how it ended when I, when I saw like the stitches. 
Uh-huh. Um, but I was like, man, let me just rewatch this. And when I rewatched it, like it just, it was like, I rewatched it for the first time. It was just so, I loved amazing stories. I know they kind of like redid it recently for Apple TV, but like just those, those, uh, earlier episodes from like 85, 86, I don't even remember probably something like that. Um, did they, you guys see any of the others when that was on the other Spielberg thing that was on NBC for, I guess no. a season, maybe. Do you remember no. what year? No. Uh, when was that? Um, um, oh, okay. Ooh. Damn. See, my daughter is already born. <laughs> I'm <gonna laughs> figure it out for my kids. I think it's like maybe somewhere in the mid '90s, maybe. And uh, it was NBC had two shows. You know, the others and the um, the one with the kids um, that was really great. Uh, in the uh, okay. Uh, who was the actress? I'm, I'm blanking on her name, and I didn't work with her too. So happens you get old guys. You know, first thing to go is the mind. We're, um, right, we're right behind. Linda, um, Cardellini. Oh, um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. James Franco. Was, oh, uh, uh, Freaks and Geeks. Freaks, yes, yeah. Thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Freaks okay. and Geeks. So yeah. Freaks and Geeks and others were the two sort of like everybody who was cool yeah, loved. Yeah, yeah. Somehow NBC couldn't get an audience, and yes, both of those correct. things got dropped. Appetite. Um, and then, of course, later, The Others, the movie came out. So the whole title, even The Others, sort of like, oh, that's the, no, 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 the TV show. There was a TV show? Yeah, it was great. You know, and, and Stephen had, you know, my uh, regular DP, Shelley Johnson, was the, was the DP on it. And he's like a chameleon. He could take every director and what do you want? Okay, I'll give it to you that way. So each episode had its own feeling and flavor, you know, based on who was directing it. And it was all kind of these, you know, psychic, people that got together and, and they would solve crimes and mysteries and stuff. Each one had a special gift and, you know, you went into, you know, the supernatural world, but that was, that's another one that I don't know where the, you know, who owns that or what's happened to that. Cause I think there's at least, you know, 10 episodes or, or so of those. I love, um, I, I love any, any anthology. Like I'm yeah. like, we all grew up on tales from the crypt and then later yeah. on Mick did masters of horror, even if it was only two seasons, but just the idea um, even what, with what you're doing now, it's the same thing. Like you're with, with Black yeah. Veil, it's like you know. Uh, do you guys like? Do you guys have questions, right? So, Brian. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. And going back to One Dark Night, which I've been a huge fan of since uh, growing up, um, and I love the climax of that film. I love the special effects, the the zombies, the creature. Was it true? You read all these things. Did you import? skeletons are real is that accurate what's accurate is oh yes those are real skeletons in there um yeah didn't have to import them they were not that hard to get in those days okay. and tom berman uh who did you know all the makeups you know stuff <laughs> you know you had to base that stuff on something and if you basically were going to do you know bone figures and with a little bit of skin and stuff you don't need to cast a person you get a skeleton and start adding shit on and uh, so that, yeah, all that stuff was, you know, definitely real. Um, and he just did, you know, and I, and I said, I just want to, you know, all kinds of humanity there, you know, an elderly black man, uh, a child, you know, uh, obese man, an old woman, you know, and, and, you know, and then like the one he came up with, I thought was so great was the, was the uh, war, war veteran who had blown off, had half his face blown off. So he had like a, a wax side of what his face, you know, you know, when it was normal, kind of looked like it all matched. But now that he was down there, all of this had rotted, 
And yet there's this nice wax thing, which the girl ends up putting her hand on and, you know, knocking it off. So you get the, you know, the, the whole, the whole gory corpse thing. So yeah, all of that stuff, you know, was like a wonderful marriage between, you know, him and me with trying to come up with something that we wanted to just make a real good old time scare house type thing. And because after four years of trying to sell it, we ended up getting a, uh, a group of Mormon investors who needed to lose $800,000 in the next three weeks, you know, can you start shooting? And I, I went, yep, I was all storyboard. I was ready to go after four years. So, you know, we did this thing, made the movie, they showed it kind of pieced together in the Philippines, got their tax shelter, you know, gave it back. You know, we finished the movie, somebody took over that company, they came in, recut it. Then I came back and said, well, we got to fix the ending. You fucked up the end, you know? So it was this whole kind of battle. And then we go and we get a PG. And I'm going, mm -hmm. I don't want a fucking PG. It's uh, you know, like a baby movie, you know? Fuck like, no, we don't want picture, a PG, yeah. <laughs> the motion picture rainbow goes, well, you had no sex. And I went, yeah, it's true. You didn't have any profanity. Yeah, the Mormons made me take that out. <laughs> you know? I said, but we got dope smoking. I mean, that doesn't bother. Yeah, that's okay. That's not, not worth something. Dope. <laughs> slasher movie they hated the slasher movies you know that was the uh, thing so we were sort of this refreshing change and they gave us the pg so i thought we were cursed but flip side was all these parents and grandparents took their kids and grandkids to go see it you know it can't be that bad it's pg so you know they're watching this thing and then you hit that certain mark where the corpses start coming out it scared the bejesus out of these children and you know as the years have gone on it goes you motherfucker you know how you scared the shit out of me but you know i'm a producer now so it all kind of worked out that i realized you know this is the kind of thing i want to do too but yeah. it, it was it was such a weird thing that so many people saw it so so young um yeah. and hey. that you know you wouldn't thought i would never would have thought that could have happened it'll yeah. make an impression if you watch something young like i uh Man, we were talking. I always bring up Miracle Mile with Steve DeJarnett. I, I was like, yo, I was like, you, the movie you made, I watched when I was 10 and you ruined my life. Like, I, <laughs> like, I got to think about nuclear bombs now at 10. Like, I just, and I, he laughed. I'm like, yo, this movie like fucked me up. Um, yeah. You know what's funny? We're talking. And as I look over at my messenger, Mick Garris just sent me a message. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm talking great. to Tommy right now. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Parker. Did you, did you want to, I know you got a yeah, shitload of stuff. Uh, just real quick on One Dark Night. Um, yeah. I'm a huge, you know, old school Batman fan. So I was just wondering, <laughs> you have to have a good Adam West story, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that really was an interesting thing because, you know, I was just looking for a guy to play, you know, the husband, you know, then, you, you know, you throw a stick, you know, towards Malibu here, you're going to hit a million of these guys. And the casting director, because uh, we had no time, you know, said, what do you think about Adam West? And I went, you're talking about Batman? Goes, yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, wow, really? We could get him? She goes, are you kidding? Nobody wants this guy. You know, he's Batman. He, you know, it, it was like the same thing with George Reeves and he was Superman. He couldn't yeah. lose that. Um, I said, no, fuck those guys. Batman comes in the movie, you know? Now, what I didn't realize <laughs> is when Adam acts, he likes to start his voice down here and then make it go up a little bit because, you know, Tom, I think it's far more interesting to hear your voice go up and down like this. So I had to try to get that out of him, you know? So after every take, you know, Adam, can we just, you know, <laughs> I know, yeah, I know people say something about that. I just think it's more interesting, don't you? 
it's interesting, but yeah, I think it, it, for me, it just sounds, I, it, to me, it's, it's Batman, you know, and oh, all right. So I managed to get all that out. Well, when the person who took over the movie later did looping, Adam came in and he did it all over again. So when you hear the movie today, you will still hear some of that down, you know, in and out through the movie. But he couldn't have been a nicer guy. He really was funny. Uh, really dark, dark sense of humor. Uh, I don't think it was one of the movies he was terribly proud of because he really wasn't the star or anything. It was just, you know, a, a role that he did. Yeah. But, you know, I, I just, you know, as, as the years went on and the more sort of notoriety he got again, I was really happy for him. And when, when he passed on here in Los Angeles, I don't know if you know, but they, they took the bat symbol and they had it projected oh, up on uh, the city hall, you know, that, and just to see that building and the, you know, and the bat sign up there for, for Adam was just incredible. I mean, that was just like magic. It's awesome. Have you lived in LA or in California, like most of your life? Yeah. 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 I just, uh, you know, born in Santa Monica, raised in Culver city in the back lots grew up you know when I left home at 15 it was I left home to Hollywood so you know it was and of course those were when I had the band days you know in the 60s uh and that's where all the clubs were and everything that we were playing and and then you know short year in, in Paris and then the only time I've kind of gone other places is all the movies ended up taking me places yeah. that always yeah. would end up coming back here and it's not that I think this is the greatest place in, in the world. I go to other towns, small towns and go, this is great. This is life. This is people care about each other. We're not all in cars all the time and distancing and things. And, you know, but it's home, you know, it's sort of, yeah. you know, it's what, yeah. what you know. So, you know, I, I've, I've stayed here. Well, I know that you, um, I think you wrote the script for One Dark Night and Friday the 13th in the same cemetery, which I'm going to get to. But I also wanted to bring up Freddy's Nightmares because mm -hmm. you did one of the episodes and I loved it because it had uh, John Cameron Mitchell, who later went on to be Hedwig yeah. and the Angry Inchman. What a trip. I had no idea. I know. And then I watched it. Nor did I. I. Yeah, yeah. So what do you remember about making that, that uh, episode? Uh, you know, another Mick Garris blessing in my life. He was, you know, involved with that. And he had done, uh, had he done his, I guess he did his episode already. And Toby Hooper had done one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they, they asked me to do it. And um, yeah, it was for New Line. And Bob Shea was, you know, kind of in it. But their whole concept was, we're going to do an hour show. But you could split it in half and these episodes would work as two separate pieces. So we actually would have double the amount, you know, of shows if they wanted to get it syndicated. Um, so the tough thing was trying to get, you know, these stories to sort of end at the half hour mark and then pick up. So if you hadn't seen that first half, you still could sort of follow the next one. And if you see them together, you know, the characters, you know, overlap. Um, so the... The, the first half of it was pretty well scripted. Um, and I thought, okay, you know, second half wasn't. So there was so much improvisation that I was doing on the set, coming up with stuff, you know, and I just went, well, that, this is where I guess, you know, Jodorowsky and all the surrealism aspects, I kind oh, of threw that, into that. That's an interesting so, point because that is, I could really see it in that now that you mention it in that episode for sure, especially the, that that first half. I, I and I get it, you know, nightmares is supposed to be like a dream sequence anyway, but the first mm -hmm. half of that with his parents, his mom is like in a fucking fridge, 
Like it's such a trip, you know, like it, it was so, and then you had a uh, Lar Park uh, from uh, Friday the 13th part seven. Yeah. And she was great. Uh, you know, my ex-wife was in there as the wacky nurse. Um, you know, it, it was, a, it was a lot of fun to do. And Michael DeLuca, who obviously went on to be, you know, a huge industry person at that time, I think he was 26 or 27. And I think he was the one who brought um, Bob Shea, the whole notion of uh, Ninja Turtles. So it's like, you know, it's like as far as Bob was concerned, you know, DeLuca had his pulse on the American youth and to listen to him. So, you know, he wrote that script. But as I said, it was like he wrote half of it and the other half, he wasn't quite sure what to do with it. So yeah. as I said, on the set, we we played with it. And, you know, he was he was, you know, very cool with all that. Um, but it was kind of that crazy you know, shoot it on 16 millimeter, you know, long days, just craziness to get those things done. But I do look at it as, you know, one of my favorite, just bizarre, comic, dark, surreal, offbeat, you know, what the hell is this doing on television kind of things. But, yes. you know, it was a lot of fun. Hey, listen, 11 p.m. Channel 9, shit gets crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and real quick, also, like the Friday the 13th series, I thought was a lot of fun, too. I feel like it's yeah. one of those series that maybe gets overlooked a lot um i don't really know if it's available anywhere i i you know i, I was oh yeah to... yeah no yeah there's yeah. a whole box set that, that came out on those and uh, the same thing with she wolf of london that also okay. mick and i were involved with and you know a lot of these things you know it's not kind of what you put at the top of your resume but you yeah. find as the years go on it's like oh i love that yeah i watched that you know I'd, parents would go to sleep and i'd get up and i'd you know watch the stuff and you know, it's stuff you don't expect, you know, because you're in your 20s or 30s and you're thinking, okay, you know, I'll do the best I can with this. And all the good stuff was done in the 70s and we're all bullshitting here in the 80s with the stuff we're doing. You know, now it's like, oh, you made it 80s horror. That's great. And I go, all right. <laughs> okay. You know, but at the time, man, I mean, I, I thought my Friday the 13th was going to live and die in a weekend. I thought the fans are going to be pissed because I put comedy in it, uh, you know didn't know but i i couldn't do a part six of, of a franchise without having some tongue-in-cheek some sense of you know let's, satire in the midst of the whole thing let, let's let's talk Paramount about let me let's talk about your masterpiece which i i think is friday like we i mean this is like we always i always go back and forth between four and six i think four and six are the best for sure Agreed. um yeah. and before we get into it i just want to ask you <laughs> one quick question uh sure. what was the craziest show you ever saw a band from way back let's say the 70s did you ever uh, see the doors oh no you played with the doors yeah we toured yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. no i i got some door stories that no one else knows because yeah, nobody yeah. else was in the house that night and you know shit that jim did and just stuff that he would say backstage and things because he was you know whatever you saw in the movie the doors you know like just a you know tiny tip of the iceberg of how crazy, you know, um, and again, it's all, it was all drugs and alcohol and stuff. So sure. I never felt I got to know Jim and I was hoping the, you know, Oliver Stone would make it so that, okay, now we see the man behind all that. But supposedly the family said no to well, anything that was true, mm. whatever that truth was. So we never found out, but, um, just in terms of like show show, what was yeah. the just craziest give me like, thing? Yeah. Just give me like a memorable show that you remember that, that like of a band that kind of blew you away. Okay, again, real simple. Jimi Hendrix, Monterey Pop. Wow. wow. We were, my best friend at that time was Chris Mancini, Henry Mancini's son. Oh, yeah. We made a band when we were like 14. 
we would rehearse in Henry Mancini's garage. Um, Hank came to us one day and said, you know, boys, I normally go to the Monterey Jazz Festival every year. This year they're having some sort of pop thing. Maybe you guys would like to go. <laughs> Front row center. Yeah, I mean, well, there was a press in front of us, but we were literally, you know, these two stone dudes, 16 years old, you know, front row center for Monterey Pop. And of course, everything was one mind blowing act after another. And all these, you know, from Lou Rawls to Ravi Shankar to The Who, to, but Hendrix went, there was something that happened and the St. Janice too, you know, there was something that just electrified the crowd. And it was Hendrix that I went, I don't know how I'm ever going to do that, but I got to do something in that school. That was fucking amazing. And I followed him like an apostle. Every show, you know, San Diego, San Francisco, anything yeah. here, opening for the monkeys, you know, <laughs> wherever he was, it was like we were there. Very and so good. it, yeah, that, that was just, you know, that first, that first time seeing him. I don't think, I don't nothing. think, I don't think anyone's topping that, <laughs> but no, um, yeah, we don't want to take up too much of your time. So if we could just talk about Friday the 13th, part six, real quick. Um, it's just, okay. wow, what what a movie. I mean, I Parker, kick it off. Give him something. <laughs> Ask him oh, something good. Uh, you had a, you not had a, only is it my favorite, yeah, not only <laughs> is it my favorites of the series, but it's actually in my top 10 movies of all time. Really? Holy yeah, shit. So this is, so this is, <laughs> So this is, a, this is a huge treat for me. You're actually uh, the second director out of my top 10 movies of all time that I've ever met. Uh, Red Dawn, the original Red Dawn, I met that direct, director, uh, John Milas. Yes. And, yeah. uh, very, very nice guy. Yeah, um, great guy, yeah. But but I, uh, I mean, my God, I celebrate this movie all day. I mean, I literally watched it, you know, a few hours ago. And, uh, <laughs> you know, talking about bands, you know, when I was touring in a band, this was the only one that the five guys agreed on. We got to watch part six. We got to watch part six to the to the I point that. that you know the card game that they actually play um, in part six. We actually turned it into a drinking game. Funny enough, <laughs> and, you know, you would take a deck of cards and you know make different cabins, and when you would find you know the Joker, that would be Jason, right. and then that that guy had to drink all the beers. And <laughs> he wouldn't even make it stage that night. That's so, the best story I've ever heard. That's great. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> But uh, I mean, so, some of the kills in this movie were probably some of the best in the franchise. I mean, out of this one, Sheriff Garris is my all time. I mean, that that bend over how how they did the effects, how pretty much this guy literally breaks his back in half. I thought yeah. was amazing. You, know, do you have any any uh, any stories as far as doing that? You know, watching yeah. that. Uh, you know, I'm glad you brought that one up because we had nine screenings with the motion picture rating board and they kept giving us an x an x and i thought my stuff i did two things morally one i didn't just want to slash up women through this movie i didn't think that was right and i didn't think that's what this you know the genre should be about or celebrated so i wanted obviously to have equal amount of guys as women yeah, secondly yeah. i wanted to make sure that every kill was beyond anything a human being can do. You cannot punch somebody's heart out. You cannot twist a head and, and tear it off, you know, nor can you sit there and bend somebody all the way back. And all the gore elements that they took out, like when the cop's head was squished and you saw a bit of a, the brain or the skull open and a piece of brain, you know, that got cut, the triple decapitation, actually seeing those three heads go and go down was an incredible effect that unfortunately they cut that out. But the thing that they picked on every single one of those screenings was that 
backbend. And I'm going, what the fuck? There's not a drop of blood. There's, you know, what is the problem? It's cumulative. What? It's cumulative. You know, by this point, you know, you're on to like the, you know, the 13th, 14th kill and like enough already, you know. So we had one more back and forth between Jason pushing and him getting, you know, which we ended up doing it in frames, you know, taking out little, little, little. But that was like the last, the, the final thing when we finally got past that on the ninth screening and the movie got an R. But yeah, I, I who, who would have thought that? But in the theater, when I would see it, it did have that sort of, oh God, yes. you know, in a way that I thought, you know, who needs blood? I mean, if you can give them something that just bothers the shit out of them like that, like, and, but where I, st I stole it from myself. I, I wrote a sketch, sketch called The Chiropractor that uh, for Dick Van Dyke on the Van Dyke and Company show in the, six, in the 70s. And Tommy Smothers played the chiropractor my first ex-wife played the assistant and it was like Dick going to a chiropractor and they did all these bizarre things. And one of them was literally, he falls off the table and they take his head and his legs and well, that could be interesting if Jason did that for the guy. <laughs> and you know, all it is is a guy with you know his legs out down in a hole and the sheriff also in the hole going the other way. And you know, it's, it's a very basic old school illusion. Didn't take, you know, no, you know, visual effects, nothing. It's just all done right there in camera. But it was amazing how, how that, that really stuck with people. Um, it, it and, was the and best I think kill. Too, it, oh, yeah. yeah it was he was trying kill. to, you know, save his, his daughter. I mean, I tried to put a lot of elements, hopefully, that you cared about these people. I hated that in um, so many of the, the movies, you just sit there and, yeah, kill the bitch. Yeah, kill that motherfucking bitch. And I thought, that's not what this should be. It should be, oh, no, no, I liked your shit. They killed Sissy? Oh, fuck them. You know, and so there's at least some sort of, you know, involving emotionally and to try to have a, an arc that happened with Jason. He was happy being dead. He didn't need Tommy Jarvis to come and bring him back. So his agenda was, I'm going to get this punk and anybody in my way goes down. You know, Tommy had to see him see that he was dead to burn the body ends up bringing him back so he's got to spend the rest of the movie how the hell do i stop this you know until he comes up with the old you know you know you, they moved the tombstones but they didn't move the bodies you know put the body back where it died then the curse is over you know so i just grabbed onto that old you know horror thing um so yeah I, but it, at least it felt like it was going somewhere and it wasn't just waiting for the next person to get killed it's who many of them you, you didn't like yeah, that, and that's that's a really good point because I was going to ask you about the casting. Um, a lot of times, um, casting. I mean, shit. I think casting could really make or break a movie. Sometimes you see. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just mention the remake of Friday Thirteenth. I I you know listen. I I just thought it was the casting wasn't like it took me out of the movie that casting in particular, but this one um, somehow like you pick people that just kind of worked. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know what, what it was like this cast, the cast in part four, the cast in part two. Um, wow. Yeah. So all the even ones, two, four and six, really. I like, <laughs> I like those casts. Um, so how do you go about just like getting a cast? Like, was it, was it a happy accident or, or do you have a formula? Well, the formula is kind of, for one, it helps being an actor and knowing that kind of the sensitivity level and also being smart enough to know that if an actor's like just looked at this part and really thought about it and brought a bit of themselves into it, 
you know, you cannot direct that, you know, I can't put in what God's left out. If they've got some quality, you go, that's it. When Tom Matthews walked in, I went, that's, that's the guy. Um, the same, the same thing with Jennifer Cook. And when Tom Fridley came in, he just had me hysterical. And I thought, you know, that's court. And so you, you know, certain people come in and you go, you know, that's it. Now I just got to get them to feel free with the dialogue so that it, you know, it comes, seems like it's coming out of them. And if there's something comes up like with Tom Fridley, where I said, you know, tell these guys some story about the rocks, you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Tom just, you know, improvised that. And I meant, that's it. Cut. <laughs> you know, and, and he's still that way, you know, 35 years later, Tom Fridley is that same kid today, same wacky energy, same, you know, you just want to hug him because he's just so wonderful and, and warm. And that, that's another thing that happened. we've all stayed friends. All of us. I mean, we still, you know, we're Facebook friends. We see each other at the conventions. There was such a wonderful bonding that happened. And I think a lot of it, I was just very lucky. I chose a bunch of people that really, you know, were those people in terms of that likability quality that they had. Um, and I, I try very much to make every movie I do have some reason. And I learned this from Frank Capra that it's a it's a, you know, people to people medium. If we like them, you know, somehow we'll go on these, you know, adventures. Um, if we're going, I don't care, you know, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's like, get rid of them. And yep. I'm kind of going through that right now. I keep rewriting this, you know, racist girl um, because it's like, I don't want after two words out of her mouth, you go, all right, somebody kill her. You know, I've got to somehow make it feel like she believes this somehow and is, it's part of her uh, because of the way she was raised and everything around, but it's not like she's an evil person. She's just adopted a very evil, you know, judgmental, stubborn, you know, side. And so it's that thing of trying to still have the audience go, I hope she changes her mind, you know, um, but for some reason, I don't think she's going to, but, you know, it's, and it's always to me, how do you find the humanity? Um, in, in these characters, you know, how do I do a father and son story about the DC sniper and the kid Malvo That's who right. went out yeah. and just, you know, terrorized the, the world pretty much. Everybody was terrified about pumping gas or whatever that they yeah. were going to be shot. But I went and said, no, I'm going to do a father and son love story. It's like, are you nuts? And I go, no, because why else would this be happening? There was, you know, it's like OJ and the passion killing. It's like, there's a reason behind this stuff and they believe they're right you know and mm -hmm. that's that's the scary thing that psychopath mentality um an another thing with this movie i wanted to to mention is fucking alice cooper man had, oh, yeah. had that come about <laughs> our boy alice okay. cooper um yeah one of the best things i ever saw in a review was that you know this, this is the rock and roll jason and i love that you know being you know a, you know an old rock and roller and I've always tried to put rock music in any of the movies I've done. Usually it's because I can't because of rights, how much it would cost. It's like, no, get, you know, get some library, you know, needle drop stuff in there. So if I had to do that, you know, I would try to find songs that really were from some band that was not well known, but it sounded like a real band or it sounded like a real song that's like, I know that, don't I? You know. Yeah. So when we got to this one, I just happened to put in, you know, a couple of Alice songs, and part of that was because back in the '60s, um, we were on the same bill. He was. I knew him as Vincent. He was a guy from Texas. He had a band called the Naz, 
we hung out at Frank Zappa's log cabin in Laurel Canyon, you know, talked a little bit, not a whole lot, but, you know, later on, I, I you know, I heard, yeah, the, the, yeah, that's, that, that's Alice Cooper. Ooh, Alice Cooper. How do you get that? L. Frank Zappa gave him that name. Really? Which again, to this day, I don't know if it's true or not, but anyway, there, there was a whole kind of connection with Frank and Alice early on. And then the music, I thought, well, God, this is great. And he's doing the kind of show I wanted to do. You know, I'm, in the 60s, I was blowing shit up on stage. I was throwing myself in the audience. I was cutting myself. I was doing all this stuff. And he was able to do it in the grand Guglielm fashion, you know, big and incredible. So, you know, I was like, this is great. I would yeah. love to have him be part of this. And then the uh, executive, Frank Mancuso Jr., said, you an Alice fan? And I go, yeah, yeah. And he goes, what about if you wrote a song for this? I go, are you fucking kidding? He goes, yeah. no. Record label came to us and said that, you know, he, he, you know they, they need to do something now with the career. They've got to, you know, shift it. And his manager feels the same way. And so that's, you know, that's kind of how that happened. And the first version that he turned in was a much harder rock version, which I loved. And I said, that's it. That's great. And I was like, no, the company thinks it's got to sound a little more 80s. we got to get some synth in there, synth, yeah. you know, and... So that, you know, I've come to like it, but at the time I was like, you know, can't we just have the, yeah. <laughs> the hard rock version? Like, no, no. But, you know, it, it, once that happened, I said, is there any chance of getting some more of his songs? You know, like which ones? Hard Rock Summer would be great. Uh, you know, Teenage Frankenstein would be great. It's like, let's see. Yep. Worked out. So, oh, it's, you know, so, that's how that, that so, happened. You know, so 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 good too because teenage frankenstein a movie you know with with young kids and basically a bolt of lightning that that brings back a monster like it's so fitting you know? yeah um but yeah i i love that that was like alice cooper right before uh he came back with trash and once trash yeah. hit in 89 like i feel like he you know he got his career back on track for sure um real quick here um you filmed three endings for this which i didn't know w which one of the three is your favorite of the what? I'm sorry. Uh, which one of the three endings? You filmed three endings for this movie. Oh, oh. What? Yeah. Uh, boy, that's a that's a great question. Um, I guess the one that's in the movie. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the others are gone. No, I mean, I the only thing that uh, Frank uh, Jr. asked me when I turned in the, uh, the the treatment and and the first screenplay is he goes, you know, we really fucked up on part five uh, when the audience saw that it could be. Tommy Jarvis being Jason, they didn't like that. They were really upset that it wasn't Jason, you know, somebody impersonating him. So on this one, we have got to tell, however you want to bring him back, I don't care. We just bring back Jason and, you know, let's give, give them, you know, a, a Friday and whatever else you want to do, it's up to you. So I wrote this thing and I thought, well, we've not seen his father. And I thought his father would be sort of like, in my mind, almost like Raymar. I mean, he was this just evil persona of evil, Svengali-esque, you know, long hair, you know, dark, dark, basically raped, you know, <laughs> Mrs. Voorhees. So the, the person that they thought was Jason's father isn't really, it's this guy. And which I actually put in the uh, Friday the 13th, the game in the Pamela Voorhees tapes. If you get, you know, if you get all those Easter eggs, you'll hear this backstory of mine about who the real father actually is. It's not Elias. It's this guy, okay. a man without a name. Um, <laughs> so I was really hoping to be able to put that in there. And then also, you know, when he's staring down at the, at the two graves, he, you know, you see he senses 
Jason's not there. And then it cuts to the lake and, you know, we start moving in and then we see him underwater and his, his eye open. So again, telling the audience, it ain't over, you know, he's, he's yeah. there. But Frank said, you know, if we, if we dangle this carrot, if they think that next time it's gonna be a show about Jason and his pop, no, you know, this has gotta be, you know, Jason, pure and simple. We need to take the father, you know, element out. So it made it into the little book, the little signet book, you know, has, you know, that, that scene in there. And now I found the, the script that has it. So at a lot of the conventions, you know, I, I have that, you know, for sale, if anybody wants to see, you know, how it was, you know, before we shot it. Uh, but then I got approached by these guys uh, in uh, uh, Oregon that were doing vengeance and they wanted to do the Jason father story and asked if I was okay with it. And then said, CJ was going to be playing the father. And I went, wow, that's great. And so cool. Hey, would you like to play the caretaker? Yeah. And I said, hell sure. You know, yeah. it's like, well, we'll send you a plane ticket. We don't have any money to pay anybody. I go, that's cool. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'd love to be a part of it. The band had a couple of songs in it too, right? Yeah, 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 that's been happening too with the band. Um, yeah, I sort of dropped the ball on the band question because basically, yeah, we we all split. Um, everybody went a different direction. Some guys still played music, but obviously I went into movies and stuff. And then in 2011, a private detective gets a hold of me and says, <laughs> you know, we're looking to to find the surviving members of the Sloss. Wow. Um, and I was like, yeah, and turns out the guitarist, the lawyer, hired this, you know, private detective because somebody contacted him and said, weren't you in a band at the Sloss? And he goes, yeah, why? And that there's a record called Making Love. He said, yeah, we made like a little 45. It just sold on eBay for $6,650. And he was like, what? And there was all these like, you know, you know, low, low end, you know, uh, uh, horror, not horror, um, uh, rock and roll, cult rock and roll kinds of uh, magazines and, and uh, what do they call them, zines? Uh, you know, the, whatever the rock, rock zines, or you know, where they just oh, yeah. kind of print their own stuff and things. Yeah, zines, um, yep. Great guy has Ugly Things mag magazine. I don't know if you've ever seen that, that uh, uh, that's out. And they all wanted to like, you know, interview whoever was still alive. And, you know, two of the guys had passed on. Um, the rest of us suddenly get together and not seen each other in 45 years. I had not sung in 45 years or played the harmonica. Wow. Um, we did these interviews and then I said, just for the fuck of it, why don't we get together? And because the drummer had a set of drums because his son was a drummer in his garage. So we started going right back to the garage where we started, played the songs that were you know, the cover songs that we did that were in our set in 65, 66. And then out of a just kind of a crazy notion, it's like, what if we play live? And it's like, oh, people are going to boo it. And I go, that'll, that's, that'll be funny. Yeah, it'll be great. Be a great story. <laughs> so we go down to San Diego thinking we're going to hide, not thinking about these. <laughs> and people take, you know, when we were there in 2011, and it kind of went out and we started getting these bookings. One thing led to another. Burger Records picked us up. We were like, you know, they're, you know, the, the grandfathers of punk and garage rock guys. And, you know, here's a bunch of guys all in their 60s doing music from the 60s. And I found this passion that I didn't even have in the, you know, in the 60s of getting up there and just killing myself on stage 
uh, both, you know, literally and figuratively, you know, with knife effects into my chest and blood coming down. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I put in the magic stuff from my childhood, mime stuff from the, uh, the period where I was doing that. So I tried to make it as much of a show as possible. So we went to South by Southwest like five years in a row and, you know, did an album, came out on vinyl, did Back a bunch from the of, grave. You, know, you know, videos, and then started, our song started ending up in all, all these like independent horror movies. Um, you know, the Fanboy 13's got one of the songs in it that uh, Deborah Voorhees has got coming out at some point. Um, you know, yeah, that, we did the Amityville Murders. Yes. Uh, because we live, we, we so, live. Yeah. yeah so we, the, you know, the, Oh, we live right by, like, I live two, two, two towns away from Amityville. So I was like looking that up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So the Amityville yeah, murders yeah. for sure. That was written by Daniel Ferens, who wrote Halloween six. Yeah. 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 So very exactly. cool. Yeah. Back from the yeah, grave. I, like I, I was, I've been listening to that record. It's fucking great. I can't believe like, what a great, yeah. what a great story. Like this has been like one of my favorite episodes just because your fucking story is amazing um I, langan do you have anything that you wanted to add or anyone yeah well you know we're not over um, yet uh we're in need of a guitarist because our guitarist unfortunately moved to philadelphia during the uh, uh pandemic so you know we, we, we've already got like a a, a a booking um you know and a couple of ones actually coming up um to do but it's like you know we're we're far from over I, you know i when I realized, boy, I have a long way to go vocally because you know all my stuff were, was very raspy and stuff, and people go, "Oh yeah, you're like an Alice Cooper guy," and I go, "I don't mean to be. That's just the way my voice comes out." And then at a certain point, I you know tear open my shirt. It's like, "Oh, you're Iggy Pop." I said, "I've never even seen Iggy Pop live," you know. But it's like all these things you start to get compared. And I thought, no, I want to just keep going and see if we can actually create our own thing pandemic obviously stopped us stopped the tour stopped the next record but now we're you know as things are starting to loosen up or as i said we got to find a guitarist and you know we want to we want to keep going uh see see where the hell it goes and it's like rock till we drop um you know and i i just don't see any for me any any reason to stop i've been doing vocal classes now twice a week for seven years now so i can somehow get a range you know me too. And do, you know, it's, it's like, I thought, I love, you know, I love the sing. And I, if you can't do it live, at least, you know, right, let's try Stairway to Heaven. You kidding? No, I, I know I could never do it. But let's see if I can do it. You know, Let's do Roy Orbison's Crying. Really? Yeah. Let's, you know, so it's like you start to find things that you actually can do. You find the right key. And, you know, yeah. when you got a head voice, it doesn't have to all be yeah. grinding away on your chords. So it's it's been, that has been a wonderful be a student again of, of an art yeah you got to find the right key that's what i learned <laughs> yeah um cool well i mean listen i think i think we're pretty much good on on the episode i don't know if anyone had any other questions right no yes um well i know you you have uh, as a souvenir the tombstone and casket from friday right is yeah. that that's yeah. the common knowledge is there any are you like big and do you take other things from like other films is there any other like what did I, well, I had the, the souvenirs. Uh, I had the angel wings and her gown from Date with an Angel. Um, over here, I've got the arrow from Prophecy that was punched into the monster's eye. <laughs> you oh. know, I mean that that little prop. Um, 
yeah, the, the, the tombstone and the coffin were sort of the, like, the big things because both of those, I mean, it's a real tombstone. I mean, this thing takes three people to carry it. I mean, it is solid granite, yeah. granite and you know, dragging it from home to home over the years has been fun. Um, <laughs> and the coffin, you know, which is below me here in the basement, I just kind of have it there when people come down the basement. It's like, holy shit, what's that? Um, you know, it's Jason's coffin. Who? Jason, you know. And if I don't end up selling it or the, the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences wanted both of those things. And I thought, you know what? Fuck me and having it in my backyard, in my basement. Let the fans see it. Let's put it in there. Guillermo del Toro, you know, could contact me and said, you know, I know you have these things if you would like to donate them and stuff. And I went, okay, well, unfortunately, I was just starting a divorce. And the other lawyer of my ex-wife said, nothing's leaving. Nope, yeah. can't do that. And by the time the divorce proceedings was over a couple of years later, called the motion picture and they go, we've got more stuff than we, we can handle. If you want to give it to us, we'll probably just, you know, have to hold on to it for a few years and then figure out what to do with it. I went, no, I don't want it sitting in a vault. I'd rather have it where I could show people sure. or, you know, use it for interviews or something. So yeah, I'm just, I still, still have it and maybe I'll get buried in it. I don't know. <laughs> Yes. You know, if I keep it that long. <laughs> well, yeah, Tommy, um, hopefully I'm not coming in broken up. All right. I'm good. All right. You can hear me. Yeah. Um, you can. You're you. all right. Yep. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing it. Um, I, I know that I hate bothering people, but when I reached out to you, you were super cool. So thank you for taking the time to just talk movies and music with us. I, I really appreciate it. Well, I, I, you know, it's an honor. I, I love you guys. I mean, you know, that you, you care and you love these things. And to me, it's like, I don't get to talk to people where we have the same minds about stuff, you know, yeah. the same influences and things. So it's always great, you know, fun for me and to talk about The Exorcist or talk about, you know, Hendrix or whatever. Yeah. It's like, if you don't know that, if you're not out of the music world or, or stuff, it's sort of people go, yeah, 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 I remember him, sort of, you know. But, yeah. you know, like to, to have door stories and some of these things where people go, you're bullshitting. I go, no, it's absolutely <laughs> true. I mean, that's but at the time, you know, you know, you're not thinking about that. You're just going, yeah, well, this is kind of what your life is. Well, uh, as, so, as, as soon as as soon as uh, as soon as Friday the 13th, part six, part two comes out or, or Black Veils, anytime you want to come back, like just like we'd love to have you to just to talk whatever you if you want to if you have nothing to promote if you have something to promote if you want to talk about your favorite doors album or you know we, <laughs> we just did a we just did a van halen episode too so um oh, you're yeah. you're well you're welcome anytime so great thank yeah, you that, that was Eddie, eddie's thank death you. was devastating for me because you know, we, we were very close for like two years and that oh. just i had no idea he was that far along you know that that i knew he I was there when he had the cancer and the tongue cancer and all these other things and the knee surgery and stuff, but he was such a fighter and such a great guy. I just, when that news hit me, I, I, yeah, I, I, I was in a funk for th three days. I, I could not pull myself out, but yeah. Yeah. everything you've heard about Eddie being a great guy, triple it. I mean, he was really, and the fact he's the greatest guitarist ever. I mean, he's just, but just as a person, he was just so sweet. So what, wonderful. what is the best Van Halen record? Man, I, I couldn't, I, you know, I have so many favorites and things. I, it, today on, on, on um, what was I, on Facebook or on something, and uh, Ann Wilson uh, okay. from yeah, Heart. Heart. Yep. 
was, you know, doing the thing. And she, she said, you know, when she met Eddie, he did, you know, he had never played in an acoustic guitar because he didn't have one. And she gave him one. And then he came back and he, he, you know, wrote this thing and she Spanish goes, fly. I still remember it. And she plays this thing. And I go, that's pure Eddie. I mean, that's, and I never heard that before, obviously. So those little moments when those happen, you go, God, he really was so special, you know, as, as, as an artist and as yeah. a person. All right. Yeah. Well, listen, I don't want to take up more of your time, but like I said, yes. anytime you want to come back, you're welcome. Thank you so much for, for, well, for thank you so much. Us. Thank you. It was an honor. Thank you so much guys. Appreciate guys, it. I'll see all four of you or three of you later. All right. Bye. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.